Well, I know uh, summer isn't supposed to hit until after the 4th of July, but it sure got me fooled. And I just am loving this. And also for the summer, we, you know, we've started a new summer sermon series on the Psalms. Randy kicked it off last week with that great psalm about unless the Lord builds the house and putting God at the center. And then next week, Scott Dudley is going to continue with another psalm. And we'll, we're going to be enriched by the psalms this summer. I think the Psalm 19 that I picked for today has got a lot to teach us about praying. That it exposes us to the many different ways that God speaks to us. And it invites us into the heart of prayer. Helps us get in touch with that. So as we turn our hearts and minds to to that psalm that Randy just read for us, let's take a a moment. Lord, we are in prayer right now with you as we hear the words of this psalm and the desire that it creates within us to know you better. We thank you for this gift, for the gift of your word to us. We pray that our hearts would be in tune with you and what you want to do with us. And now, Lord... May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, when summer comes, the weather gets like this. My thoughts turn to the outdoors, and I have a confession to make. It's really hard for me to sit inside on a day like this. So thanks for being here. And at least I don't have to sit, though. That's the good thing. I can stand up here and preach on this great psalm, this psalm that has so much to tell us. And it starts with the outdoors. And I think what I, what I love about the outdoors so much is there's something spiritual about it. There's something that helps me get in touch with God through the beauty of his creation. I will do almost anything to get out there. And the more intense, the better. Uh, kayaking or riding my bike or, better yet, climbing a mountain. Whatever it is. And the intensity of that experience gets me in touch with God. But it's so bad that it's almost kind of an affliction. And I think that's why my wife doesn't go backpacking with me anymore. I I think it kind of started on that trip that we took here locally in the Cascades when we got caught in a torrential downpour. And we had been on the trail for about an hour when it started to rain. And it started to rain harder and harder. And then she sort of casually turned to me and said, Bruce, you did bring the rain flight, didn't you? And by this uh, sort of silence, she could tell that there had been a miscalculation. I I thought that the proper calculation was to travel light. And uh, she didn't think that was a very good explanation. And so, needless to say, that adventure ended abruptly. And we turned around and went back. But I know people who, for them, that the the spiritual experience of being out in nature is so important to them that they'll say, I don't need church. I have God right here in me. And I can worship him out in the mountains. And that's my church. You know, and there's something in me that can understand that when they say that, even though I know that that theology is wrong, that, that nature never replaces the church. But yet I do connect. There is something there that connects us to God. I mean, who hasn't stood under a starry night and, and gazed up at the heavens and wondered how big is the galaxy? How far away are the stars? How many thousands 
or even millions of years has the light from that star been traveling at the speed of light just to reach my eyes and set me wondering about how, it, how this all got to be here. And the unlikelihood of this moment in time when I'm experiencing it. Have you ever been out walking on a, a really dark night? I'm talking about a, a moonless night, completely black, so dark that you can barely see your feet on the trail in front of you. And then you're, you're walking along and you're so carefully trying to pick out the trail. As your eyes get adjusted to the dark, you gain the confidence to look up. And as you look up, a meteor shoots across right in front of you, pointing straight at the trail that you're following. It happened to me. There's nothing like it. It, it just makes you gasp at the beauty, at the wonder of creation. And you wonder, could, could it be that God knew I was looking up right then and, and sent that star shooting across so I could see it? Is that possible? I mean, I had been praising him for the beauty of this night. Nah. That's not possible, is it? But it happened. It happened while I was trekking in the Himalaya just a few years ago. And something else happened that night that I'll never forget. There I was. We were um, trekking on the way toward uh, Gochila, which is a high mountain pass. It's, the, it's on the approach to Kanjanjunga, the third highest mountain in the world, on the, on the border of uh, Sikkim, which is in uh, India and China. And it's a sacred place. It's revered by the local Buddhist people there as a sacred place. And the mountain is actually holy. And when mountain climbers climbed it, they actually did not set foot on the top of the mountain because of, out of respect for the local people. Now, I wasn't you know, going anywhere near the summit, but we were getting up to the uh, approach of that mountain at this place, about the 17,000-foot level. And on the trail, I was there uh, alone except for one Sherpa who was guiding me in front of me on this moonless night. And in the middle of the night, we're walking along, and I, I had my headlamp turned out. You could barely uh, see your feet on the trail in front of you. Again, this has to do with the affliction, I think. I mean, the, the more intense the experience, the better. So I, I turned out the headlamp, and I, you're really worried about each step. You pay attention to every single step because you don't want to stumble on a rock. And that could end the trip right there. And as I got uh, accustomed enough to glance up, I looked off to my side, and there was, some, there was a glow off to the right of the trail below me. And I, I couldn't figure out what this was. And I stopped, and I paused, and I looked over. And as my eyes adjusted to the dark, I realized that I had seen this pattern before, only not in quite the same arrangement. And then it just hit me. Just gasp went through me. I realized that down on the ground, on the right side of the trail, I was staring into the Milky Way galaxy. And I looked up to make sure my eyes weren't playing tricks on me, that I wasn't hallucinating or something. I, was, I was, wasn't high enough to be hallucinating. And sure enough, there it was. Milky Way here above my head, Milky Way here below my feet. And I realized there must be some water there. 
And the night was so still, it was a dead calm. It was so still that this tiny little pond was perfectly flat like a mirror. And it was reflecting the whole glory of the Milky Way galaxy right there in that tiny little pond off to the side of the trail on this little speck of a rock that we call the Earth. And at times like that, you just, your heart just leaps at the awe of a God who created anything so beautiful, so amazing. The heavens are telling the glory of God. And the firmament proclaims his handiwork. It was beautiful beyond words. How can I describe it? Day to day pours forth speech. And night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech and there are no words. Their voice is not heard. There's something about the night sky that leaves us helpless to explain the glory of God. And leaves us feeling, God, you are so big. And I am so small. How could I possibly know you? How could you possibly pay attention and care enough to know me? I am less than a speck of dust in the universe. You know, this feeling is pretty much the same with people all over the world. It doesn't matter what religion they are, what culture, what place on the globe they live in. Everybody all over the world feels awe at the night sky and the beauty of creation. And this is right where Psalm 19 begins. It's the beginning of place of prayer because even pagan prayers begin here with the adoration of the creation. Even a prayer to an unknown God. The ancient peoples, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, people down through the millennia have written hymns to the sun. In the heavens, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And nothing is hid from its heat. But this is not a pagan prayer. Listen again. In the heavens, he has set a tent for the sun. He. This single word changes everything. How did this word get here anyway? Who is this he? Well, back to Gochila for just a moment. After 16 hours of hiking, my guide and I finally made it safely back to the camp where another Sherpa man who was uh, helping us on this trip was waiting and keeping the camp. And I was walking down the trail and I was just, the whole way down, I was just praising God. It's now in the middle of the afternoon by now, by the time we get back. Praising God for the beauty of that night and just the awe-inspiring things that he had shared with me to see. And we got back to the camp And here was the other Sherpa man, and his face was just beaming. He was so excited and so happy to see us back. He'd been waiting. And he was motioning to me. He was so excited about something that he wanted to show me. There wasn't enough language for us to understand what it was. So, But I could tell by his motions that he wanted me to follow him. So I followed him around the camp to the backside of the camp where there was this stone cooking pit. And there was something smoldering, this like ugly black mass of plant material 
that was like smoldering on the top of this little cooking pit. And my first thought was, what? Man, I sure hope that's not dinner. Because, I mean, I was hungry. And yet he had known enough broken English to teach me just a few little words on the three days on the trail that led us up to that point. And he pointed and he said, he was so proud of himself, he said, Puja, Puja. And I realized, I made the connection, I know what this is. Puja. This is a burning incense offering to the gods. He was so proud of himself that the night, that the weather had been perfect for us, that we were able to make our summit and get back on such a glorious night. And he had stayed up all night burning puja for me as a sacrifice to the gods. And I just shared the spiritual experience with him. And yet, it kind of broke my heart too because I wanted so badly for him to know that God that he was praying to, that that God had a name, that that God was something more than just nature. You see, the problem is that we can't really taste the goodness of God and everything that he has for us until we get to know him personally. If we stop with the power and the beauty of nature, we can end up praising and and worshiping the creation instead of the creator. And that's only half the story. Because nature doesn't tell us how God loved us from the beginning. Nature doesn't tell us what God did to save us. Nature doesn't tell us God's plan for our life. That he's a God we can trust in. As opposed to a God that we fear for what he might do next to us. We can't get to know that kind of God unless he reveals himself to us. Yes, the heavens do declare the glory of God. But his word reveals his love. And there is nothing sweeter under the sun than to rest in the love of God. Not even the richest drippings of the honeycomb. That's the sweetest taste that King David ever tasted. You realize that? The sweetest thing that ever existed in ancient Israel was a honeycomb. And that's the one thing that David thinks of to compare to the taste of God's love. Sun-drenched honey. He knows the love of God for his people. He knows God's covenant. You will be my people and I will be your God. And so David says, dear God, thank you for your law, your word, which gives us life. It's sweeter than honey. And it's more precious than gold, even much fine gold. Friends, this is where we get to the heart of prayer. It's this desire for God. And what quickens the pulse of prayer is our desire for God. But wait, because there's a problem in that. That perfect law, that perfect plan, that perfect love of God, there's a problem in that. Because how can I ever be sure of fulfilling God's law? How can I, can I really be capable of living up to that covenant that he gave us in the Ten Commandments? But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Don't let evil have sway over me. Can I ever be pure enough to satisfy God's perfect will? 
because I know how easily I stray from him. I know how quickly I can get angry. I know how, how quickly I can put my money ahead of my faith. I know how often I covet something that's not mine. I know it's just like the old hymn that says, prone to wander, Lord, I know it. Prone to leave the, born to leave the God I love. How can I ever be good enough to purify my heart of all its hidden flaws? Could I ever say enough prayers for forgiveness? Could I ever burn enough pujas? Or listen to enough sermons or go on enough mission trips to ever purify my heart? No. It doesn't work that way. The only way that's ever going to happen is if he does it for me. Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. If you cleanse me, Lord, then I will be cleansed. If you purify my heart for prayer, Lord, then my prayer will please you. But you've got to do it in me, Lord. Let me respond to that. And I've discovered the heart of prayer. So all of nature and all of the Bible, they tell us about God. They lead us to desire Him and to taste the sweetness of a life lived in response to Him. Yet there's only one way it can work. He has to be the one to purify me and to prepare my heart for prayer. And guess what? That's just what He did. And the God of glory beyond the galaxies has done something so marvelous. The God who can take the whole Milky Way galaxy and cast it down into a little speck of water on a little speck of a rock for a little speck of a creature to see is the same God who is so big and yet who can become so small as to fit inside a man's heart and make that heart beat with a pulse of prayer for a whole lifetime and who can be so powerful and so full of life to make that heart start beating again even after it died on the cross. And that's why we pray to him as our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Lord, for this awesome gift, of a psalm that can carry us through the centuries and through the galaxies and deep into your love, we praise you. May this be a song that resounds in our hearts all our lives. May we hear it sung in many tunes. May we live it out in many days, trusting you to make us pure enough to sing that song. In your name, Jesus, amen.